Welcome everyone to the Step Outside Podcast. I'm Katie Donaldson, the Communication Specialist with the School of Natural Resources here at the University of Tennessee Institute of Agriculture. Today joining me is Kanan Duggar. He is a master's student. You're getting your master's in forestry. And if you wouldn't mind just telling me a little bit about your research and what you've been working on. Yeah, so I got my start never really thinking I was going to do a master's, and I had an internship um, through Extension in the summer of 2020. So it was after COVID lockdown, being a little stir-crazy, and um, I got in connection with Dr. Clatterbuck, who before it went online was my teacher for uh, undergraduate civil culture class. So I was able to snag this internship, and then after months of being inside, I was very happy to be able to spend time by myself in the woods outside and stuff. So um, we started as an internship, and we were looking at white oak regeneration, specifically natural white oak regeneration. So there's artificial, which is planting white oaks, uh, planting trees, and generally in this neck of the woods, it's not a very common thing to do. It's You don't find as much success because... I like to say it's kind of a cutthroat world out there and things are competing for light and space and water resources. So generally, this natural white oak regeneration is a little easier on the wallet because you're not spending all this money on these like really high-grade nursery uh, seedlings. You're letting nature kind of do its thing and you're almost working with it, trying to get best bang for your buck, really. So we were looking at that. Um, basically, there was maybe a couple of seasons before 2020, um, there was a bumper acorn crop, which is a phenomenon that happens with um, a lot of the masting species, oak in this case, and this generally happens like three to seven years. It's not pinpoint down. It's kind of, it can be a sporadic thing, and they just basically release a bunch of acorns, and some people think it might be because of satiating predators. There's a lot of theories, and I think with a lot of science and ecology, it's probably a combination of a lot of things. So they released this massive acorn crop, and we were basically taking advantage of keeping track of these, doing a mid-story release to kind of let these acorns, seedlings from the acorns, uh, compete better with some of those species like maple and poplar, which oftentimes will just overtop oak and compete for those resources. So it's important to know that oak is a Um, white oak in this case, which there are different types of white oak, and with my study, it was white, like white oak, white oak, um, if that makes sense. Like, there's a family of white oak, and then ours was specifically um, Quercus alba, which is white oak, and um, they are an intermediate light-tolerant species, so they can deal with shade, but too much, you have the species like maple, dogwood, beech, stuff like that, where they can do well in shade, can outcompete oak, and then full light conditions, you have stuff like poplar, uh, sour wood, stuff like that coming up. So it's trying to find like that Goldilocks area in between to get oak, white oak in our case, to be successful in growing. So basically that was our study. We were looking at light effects on oak growth and survival. So you were talking about how the research looked at bringing back white oaks naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From that research, have you determined the best process? Yeah, so... It's really been an issue. We worked with um, one of our collaborators with the White Oak Initiative, and it's kind of become an increasing problem in the world of forestry with you're not getting this advanced reproduction. And when I say advanced reproduction, it's basically when seedlings over time kind of accumulate into larger numbers. So this hasn't really been occurring, and you kind of have this bottleneck happening where all your older trees are there but we don't have these numbers in the in the younger ones so once this older class 
dies out and that's kind of the problem that they're trying to face is if you don't have this younger class that you're managing and culturing for you're not going to have something to replace that and whether you're a wildlife person you like deer hunting and turkey hunting that has something for you um if you like whiskey and wine you know how important uh, white oak is for making staves and barrels and then obviously all trees and specifically white oak in this area is such an important um like keystone species it supports a lot of a lot of really important functions that maybe get overlooked by most people so are there any specific reasons you have been able to pinpoint for why we're seeing such i guess a low amount of seedlings to replace Mm -hmm. that older generation yeah so you really have to step back um like about 100 200 years because a lot of research and studies have suggested that native americans were doing a lot of burning and like not intense management but they were doing more hands-on management at the time Uh, fast forward to european settlement it was still going on, but it was at a more intense and frequent level, which is actually funny that it did actually support oaks more because it kept back those maples, poplars, beech, and stuff like that. Um, but it really wasn't until that really intense like logging of the early 19th century where some oak species actually continue to do really well, but white oak specifically is a slower grower. It, it relies on that accumulation of advanced reproduction. So it did not really rebound as well as other oaks did so you can really trace it back to that early 19th century and then once you hit the 1930s 1940s you had a lot of management like suppression like Smokey the Bear that type of stuff that come along and kind of all this disturbance that was pretty prevalent and normal in the landscape just got cut off and that's where you can really pinpoint a lot of that um, succession starting to take over and you see this big um, accumulation of maple start taking over beech, dogwood, all these, um, we call it mesic species, which are more wet tolerant, shade tolerant species. Based on the research, Mm -hmm. what would you recommend to prevent this from happening in the future? Well, immediately it really just needs to people start addressing it because it's at that, it's kind of at that tipping point of, you know, these are such slow growing species that it kind of needs to be handled now. And we really know the research suggests and kind of supports the three things for white oak reproduction, which is it's advanced reproduction. Um, it, you have to have that. You need some type of um, disturbance to take out that mid-story to get that light it needs, that intermediate light. Um, I think generally the literature suggests you need about 20, 30, maybe up to 40% light. And those sites where you're having less than 20 you're going to get that maple poplar stuff take or maple uh beech dogwood stuff like that and then really above 40 50 percent you're going to have those more sun loving species kind of take over so those were the three it was advanced reproduction dependent disturbance and you need that goldilocks number of light the the if you if you want to have successful white oak regeneration you have to have those kind of first if not you're going to most likely be fighting stuff like poplar and, and maple and a lot of the things with landowners around here um, is, you know, they're trying to make their money immediately. And a lot of the times it, it's going to take someone that has that longer perspective, the more land stewardship, passing things down to future generations rather than I'm going to grow something for 20 years and cut it and get my money because it's that type of mindset's not going to work with hardwoods and specifically white oak. So, so you talked about burning mm-hmm. as far as management yeah. goes, but I feel like 
just to the average person on the street mm-hmm. when they hear that management isn't just burning though. Mm-hmm. There yeah. are more um, things that go into that. Could you mm-hmm. kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So what I'm I'm interested in is civic culture, which is I think that. It's along the lines, the definition of an art and science of managing forests and trees. So there is a science, but also there's an art to it, I think. And um, and it kind of goes into that. You're, I know Dr. Clatterbuck said this in a lot of his uh, classes before, where it's like you kind of reach into your civic culture's toolbox. Like you said, that burning is an option. And I know he said this before, too, where it's like it can kind of be seen as not really a, a scalpel in a sense, but like a hammer. It's a very broad tool um, and really depending on your objective like maybe a landowner is wanting to do veneer quality lumber well burning might not be the best idea it's going to damage that but let's say you have a crappy site and you just want to have a clean slate burning would be a great option to prep that site for it so that's the thing i love about forestry and specifically civic culture is you can really get into that art side of matching different things for different objectives so it's never one answer fits all through doing this research Mm -hmm. has it giving has it given you an idea of kind of what you want to do in the future? Just doing this study on my own, I mean, it's one of my personal goals to have land of my own. Uh, a lot of my family up in Kentucky, my mom lives on like 20 acres, my grandparents have about 25, so it's been nice to kind of give them some um, advice. And also, it's like I'm doing stuff now that unfortunately they might not be able to see in 20, 30 years, but it's something that I can kind of remember. And I, I, I think regardless of what type of job I get, like forestry is such a passion of mine. And I don't think you have to be a certified forester to be into forestry because it's something, you know, having patience and that foresight, land stewardship type of view on things that like regardless where I go, it's like I learned some really cool methods and ways to um, specifically for white oak to get that on my land. And then obviously my other classes, I've learned other really cool techniques and, and theories and stuff like that, which I think it's awesome. It's just putting into that tool, that toolbox to have for later. Um, so are, there are all these multiple things happening. Mm-hmm. In, well, all these multiple research mm-hmm. projects happening within forestry mm-hmm. that are kind of looking at different ways that we can not only manage our land, but mm-hmm. also manage it like safely mm-hmm. yeah. in, in an environmentally friendly way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like another misconception. Like we said, we said burning earlier, like most people out of the streets would see it and be like kind of that smoky the air error, um, smoky the bear error where it's like you have a kind of a negative reaction to it. And I think the same thing with a lot of forestry things, like a lot of it is really dictated by public perception and like what we can actually do management wise. And like, you know, the classic go-to for a forester is it depends on your objective. And that's the easy answer for everything. And it really does depend on your objective because, you know, a clear cut might look terrible, but it might be the best thing for getting white oak or hardwoods back into it if you have a poplar forest and you don't want poplar or vice versa. Um, I know Dr. Clatterbuck told me a story where, you know, everyone's trying to grow these high valuable like black walnuts and white oak and stuff like that. But if you're on a site where it's conducive to poplar, you could probably go two or three harvests of poplar and make more money. It's like, why are you fighting with nature? You're trying to work with it. And it usually gives you pretty good results when you can do that and kind of work with it. Less, less um, fighting back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to add just about your um, research? Or No, I know... Um, the White Oak Initiative is a great resource for anyone that's in, interested in anything like this. Um, they have a really great website. Um, I know Dr. Schlarbaum, 
he does a lot of stuff each fall with collecting acorns. There's a lot of cool stuff, I think, between those two that you can get involved in. I, I personally, like, I started doing this undergrad, and I, anyone can do it. It's a fun project for, like, science project for little kids or even adults, but go out and collect acorns and put them in a peat moss in your fridge over the winter and pull them out in the spring and plant them. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Schlarbaum, um, he's the director of the Tree Improvement Yeah, that's program. okay, that's what it is, yeah. So I know he does something... They have some big acorn collection project, and that's always fun. I have one that's like four or five years old that I got from my like first forestry class. So I'm still hanging on to, so kind of gives you a little look look back when you got it, kind of a slice of what you were doing in your life at that time. Those are all my questions. Thank you so much, no Kanan, for joining me on this month's version of the Step Outside podcast. Thanks for having me. It was great. <laughs>